Good morning, friends. Uh, Today's message is titled, Look at Me. And we're going to be looking at Psalm 27, verse 8. Most of you probably remember this scene from your childhood days, and if you're a parent, it probably has happened recently, where you're talking to your child about something that matters, something that you want to make sure they hear and heed, and so you say, look at me. Look at me while I'm talking to you. You say that because as a parent, you know that when your child is looking at you, there's a better chance that he or she is engaged in what you're saying and your words are getting through. And so you say this not only when you're scolding them, but also when you're telling them something that they really need to hear. That's because face-to-face contact, eye contact, is an essential part of communication. In fact, studies show that babies thrive when they receive lots of eye contact with their primary caregivers and that babies who don't receive eye contact don't develop as quickly. That's how important eye contact is, not only between parents and children, but between friends, uh, husbands and wives, but there's a sense in which we need to maintain spiritual eye contact with our Heavenly Father. There's a sense in which He would say to each of us, look at me when I'm talking to you. Today I want to challenge all of us to put everything we want to receive from God on the back burner for a moment and focus instead just on being with Him, seeking Him, seeing Him, experiencing Him, and knowing Him. The paradox is that when you seek God just for the sake of knowing Him, your life becomes more meaningful and joyous. Seeking God is the only way to discover your heart's true home. But this isn't about the payoff as much as it is about the process. I mean, what does it mean to really seek God in your life, and how do we go about doing it? Most often people are driven to seek God because of a need or a void in their life. I've known some who have had achieved tremendous success and accumulated significant wealth, and yet they find themselves empty and wondering, is this all there is? A few years ago in an interview on 60 Minutes, Tom Brady of the New England Patriots was talking about all the success he'd had in the NFL, the records he set, the championships he won, the Super Bowl rings he's accumulated. And in a moment of candor, he said, sometimes I think there has to be more than this. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon tells about a similar journey through success and materialism and the pursuit of power and the pursuit of pleasure And it brought him to the conclusion that there has to be more to life than this. It is at this point that many people are driven to seek God. Others are driven to seek God because of a crisis, because they find themselves on the brink or even over the edge of disaster. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is found in 2 Chronicles. It's where King Jehoshaphat was busy minding his own business, striving to lead the nation of Israel with integrity and suddenly he got news that three armies representing three nations had joined forces with the single purpose of taking him out and taking over the country. And the Bible says in verse 3, Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord. Well, sometimes trouble gets our attention in such a way that it causes us to turn our attention towards seeking God. So, friends, whatever it is that drives you to seek God, whether it's a desire for something more, whether it's fear or frustration or discouragement or despair, I want you to know that God is pleased whenever you turn your eyes to seek Him. And I want you to know that your search for more of God in your life will not and cannot end in vain. 
As Hebrews 11 verse 3 says, he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And as far back as Deuteronomy 4.29, God said, But if you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. I think what he's saying is that when you seek him with an I'm dead serious about this attitude, and I mean business, your search will not be in vain. He said, you will find me. Now, I want you just for a moment to put away the idea that God is somehow lost, that you're going to find him. But this is really has something to do with something a little bit different, that you're actually wanting to be in God's presence. Let's move on here. Have you ever thought about what an amazing experience it would be to find God, to know him personally? I mean, not just to know about him, not just to know some of the stories from his book, but to know him, to sense his presence, to hear his voice, even to feel the comfort of his embrace. Can you imagine how that would be? This is what he wants for every person of faith. It's what he wants for each and every person that's listening to this message. And it's there for the asking for every person who will seek his face. Now, I want you to go back and think about that phrase, seek his face, as in those famous words from Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, what does it mean to seek his face? Well, seeking God's face, uh, we're talking about seeking his presence. We're talking about one-on-one together in the same room type of communion with God. Now, an important distinction to make here is that this isn't about wondering about an attempt to locate God as if he were lost or jumping through spiritual hoops in an attempt to find him. It's more about acknowledging that he's already with you. He's already here. He's already where you are. I mean, most of you know that passage at the end of Matthew that says, And surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. Or Hebrews 13:5. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Seeking God's face begins with acknowledging his presence. I don't know about you, but have you ever been in a group of people and they're all talking to one another, but they don't seem to acknowledge you? I mean, you say something and it's like nobody said anything. Well, if it never ha- does it ever happen to you? It happens to me. I also think that we tend to do the same with God. We go about our daily lives, even sometimes our ministry lives and church activity lives, as if he's not even there. Craig Groeschel, pastoring one of the largest churches in America, wrote a book a few years ago called The Christian Atheist, in which he talks about this phenomenon. The subtitle of his book is Believing in God, but living like he doesn't exist. I think many Christians fall into this trap. Many churches fall into this trap as well. It's not about living a life of sin and debauchery as much as it's about going about your life as if he's not anywhere around. He's not in your room. God wants more than just a Sunday morning religious ritual from his people. He even wants more than your mere obedience. He he wants your devotion. He wants your heart. He wants, believe it or not, your company. What I'm saying is that he wants you to look at him while he's talking to you. This is where the journey to a deeper life begins, turning your eyes toward him, acknowledging and focusing on his presence. Now, at this point, some of you might be saying, okay, what does that really mean? I mean, how do I turn my eyes toward God in order to seek his face? To answer this question, I want to talk to you about five things you can do that will help you. 
I think these five things will help enable you to experience more and more of God's presence in your life. Here's the first thing. Cling and cleave every day. This is really the most important of the five. It's about putting Jesus front and center in everything. Now, if you're a parent, do you remember the first time you dropped off your child at a babysitter? Do you remember the child's reaction when they realized that they were being left? I mean, you wanted to give them a hug and a kiss, but they clung to you. They were begging you not to leave. It was heartbreaking. I know. I've had it happen. But it was also eye-opening because you realize how desperately this child needs you and wants you. And then, of course, the fourth or fifth time they drop them off, they say goodbye with a wave of the hand, and they run and grab a toy off the shelf and start playing with their friends. And you come back a few hours later, and they don't even realize you are gone. That's another eye-opening experience. I'm suggesting that we learn to cling to God with that same desperation that a child feels on their first visit to daycare or school, that same level of intensity, that same attitude that says, I can't let go of you. I can't let you out of my sight. In the book of Genesis, when God was talking about marriage, he said that a man should leave father and mother and cleave unto his wife. Now, cleave is the same as the root word for glue. He's saying that it's like married couples are to stick with one another forever. In Psalm 63, 8, David wrote, My soul clings to you. The word translated cling is the same word translated cleave in Genesis. It means glue, and it describes our relationship with God. In other words, we need to cling and cleave to our Heavenly Father. This means that you acknowledge His presence throughout the day. It means that you're always aware of how aware you are of His presence at every moment. And when you feel as if you've moved away, drifted away, you need to reach out and wrap your arms around Him once again and hold on tight. Sometimes during the day you might venture off course, but here are some things you can do to help be where you need to be. I mean, one of them is just to get in the habit of acknowledging his presence first thing in the morning. Start a conversation with him before you do anything else. Or second, get in the habit of acknowledging God's presence in the closing moments of the day. After you've turned off the TV or closed the book or switched off the lamp and before you drift off to sleep, acknowledge again his presence. Maybe today wasn't a perfect day and you made more mistakes than you can count and you forgot to acknowledge his presence more times than you care to admit, but it's never too late to cling and to cleave. As you begin this day saying, God, I need your presence in my life, you can end it in the same way. And in time, the gap between the two will close, and you will find yourself clinging and cleaving all day long. This is one way that we seek God. Here's the the second way. Seek God through praise and appreciation. David said in Psalm 100, verse 4, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. An essential step to seeking God's face and seeking his presence is to come to him with a spirit or an attitude of gratitude. Forget for a moment all the good reasons you have to complain. Instead, think back on every good thing that has ever happened, every blessing, every success, every pleasant experience. And take a moment to acknowledge the source behind it all. Take a moment to say, God, I thank you. Take a moment to say, to God be the glory for all the things you have done. Seeking God means we stop for a moment talking about me, 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 and make our prayers more about you, you, you. Oh, Lord, you are good, and you are worthy, and if you were never to do another good thing in my life, your goodness to this day 
is more than I could ever deserve or desire. So I just want to spend this moment in your presence saying thank you, bless you, praise you. And third, we can see God through the witness of, of the word. And here I'm talking about spending time in the Bible each day. Our personal relationship is not with the Bible. Our personal relationship is with our Heavenly Father, but we encounter him in the pages of Scripture. Jesus said this in John 5.39, It is they, and he's talking about the scriptures, that bear witness about me. Other translations say, These are the scriptures that testify about me. In addition to all of the commands of scripture, to be holy, to be obedient, to love one another, to remember the poor, in addition to all of those commands, we discover the true nature of God and the true character of God within the pages of scripture. Through Scripture, we come to know him, not just about him or the details of this story or that story, but to know him personally. And so I'm challenging you and myself to daily open the Scriptures with the intent of more than merely to learn, but with the intent of a one-on-one encounter with Jesus. And fourth, we could see God fasting with a focus. In Second Chronicles 20, when Jehoshaphat heard about the armies, were planning to invade Israel, the Bible says that he set his face to see God and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. Now there's something empowering in doing without food. Denying physical hunger somehow enables us to satisfy our spiritual hunger. Now you don't have to fast 40 days and 40 nights, but if you fast for one day or even just a meal or two and you say, every time I feel a little hunger pain, I will turn my eyes once again to God, then you're going to experience his presence in a more powerful way. I'd encourage you to try this once a week, even if it's a single meal. Fast with a focus of seeking more of God in your life. And fifth, you can seek God by clearing out the clutter. For many of us, there's so much going on in our lives that we just don't feel like we have the time or energy to pursue a closer relationship with God. But when you take a close look at your day-to-day activities, you'll often find much that is non-essential. Maybe you can get by with a little less TV, or a little less Facebook, or a little less talk radio, or a little less of any and all of the above that's cluttering your schedule and consuming your free time. I'm just saying that one way to see God is to eliminate some of the meaningless activities that fill our time, so that we can make room for the meaningful activity of being in His presence. Now, I know I've heard some people, and I've said this myself, but there are times when I just want to unwind in front of the TV and do nothing. And, of course, we all do that from time to time. But let me let, me let you in on a best-kept secret. There's nothing more unwinding, nothing more relaxing than sitting in a comfortable chair <clears throat> in a quiet room and contemplating the presence of Jesus. It's so much better than bringing on Netflix and so much better than watching cat videos on YouTube. Taking a few moments each day to just be with God, to be still in his presence, will strengthen your relationship with him and will magnify his presence. That's why he said in Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. Now, friends, these five doables will help you in the process of seeking God, and we should implement each one of them into our lives. But let's remember that seeking God comes down to this. Seeking God begins with making and maintaining eye contact with your Heavenly Father. Day in and day out and all through the day, you turn your eyes toward Him and you acknowledge His presence in your life. Seeking Him doesn't mean that you're looking for Him because He has been with you all along. 
As David said in Psalm 121, The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. God is always with you, and his eyes are turned forever toward you. And now he's asking you to turn your eyes toward him, to acknowledge his presence, to pay attention as he speaks, to keep him front and center throughout all day. Now, I've saved the key verse for today's message until the very last, because I'm hoping that this week you will make it your prayer as King David made it his prayer. It's our text, Psalm 27, verse 8. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Until next time, friends, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.